Sick of the fatigue and fog, fed up with the unpredictable flares, hangry from the super restrictive diets. Hello, and welcome to the Crunchy Allergist Podcast, a podcast empowering those who, like me, appreciate both a naturally minded and scientifically grounded approach to health and healing. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Kara Wada, quadruple board certified pediatric and adult allergy immunology and lifestyle medicine physician, Sjogren's patient and life coach. My recipe for success combines anti-inflammatory lifestyle, trusting therapeutic relationships, modern medicine, and mindset to harness our body's ability to heal. Now, although I might be a physician, I'm not your physician, and this podcast is for educational purposes only. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode of the Crunchy Allergist Podcast. My name is Dr. Kara Wada. I'm a board-certified allergist, immunologist, lifestyle medicine doc, and systemic Sjogren's patient. And on this podcast, we talk about all things allergies, autoimmunity, anti-inflammatory living, and we've really been having a focus this last week or two on the role of physician and patient communication. And I thought there was no better guest to have on than a person that I am so grateful came into my universe. Whitney Lane Ward is joining us today. She is a public speaker and an author who seeks to encourage her audience to overcome their circumstances And as someone who has a disability, she wishes to give hope to others with illnesses, hope so that they will persevere and scale the mountains they face. And I'm so excited for you all to meet Whitney today. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know a lot's going on to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. And as an extra bonus, who would have thought that I could say, I'm actually on my immunologist's podcast. So yes, Dr. Wada is my doctor. Love her. She's amazing. And I'm so thrilled to be on her podcast to chat with her. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as we were chatting before, I'm like, you can say that. I can't say that. <laughs> yes, I told her I'm going to release for whatever I need to do to make it you know, above board. <laughs> Oh, as we've talked before, to whatever level you feel comfortable, if mm-hmm. you wouldn't mind kind of sharing a bit of kind of your story and how you've ended up in this really inspiring place you are now. I will try to make it very <laughs> I am 34 and it's just, it's been a long winding road. But so when I was born, I had dislocated hips and club feet. And that was a little unusual because my mom had me be a C-section. And my dad likes to say, it just looks like you need to go back in and cook for a little while because I was full term, but I looked like a preemie. And of course, we didn't know what was going on, but later we'd find out it's all puzzle pieces, like to the big picture. So growing up from like infancy to five years old, I had tons of ear infections and sinus infections, pneumonia, asthma, all that fun stuff. And my doctor, pediatrician, just chalked it up to there's some kids who it just takes a bit for their immunity to build up. And Whitney seems to be one of those kids. Once she continues to grow up and out of it, she should be okay. That did not happen. (laughs) When I was six years old, 
one morning I woke up with excruciating pain in my knees. Mm -hmm. I could walk. It was hot to touch them. And I'm like, my parents worked with me two hours trying to bend my knees. It was Mm -hmm. awful. Finally, I could, but I walked with the limp. And then the next day I spiked a fever of 105. And so, yes, I was very sick. So I went to my local ER who back then the hospital really wasn't conducive to having pediatric patients, but thank the good Lord, there was a pediatric fellow there. Mm -hmm. And so she saw me and she got me to Cincinnati Children's. They thought it was an orthopedic problem, but when orthopedics saw me, they're like, oh no, this is rheumatology. You need to go to rheumatology. Mm -hmm. So we did. But all the rheumatologists were gone that day for a medical conference, except one. And he came in and he looked at my mom and he said, I was not supposed to be here. I was supposed to be at that conference as well. And my mom was like, you were supposed to be here. A higher power orchestrated this. And you're here for my daughter. I have no doubt. Yeah, he was amazing. He was like the first doctor that just tried to piece it all together. So I actually ended up having septic arthritis. That's what was causing the severe pain. And of course they did blood work and they found what wasn't supposed to be high was high. What wasn't supposed to be low was low. And another fact was uh, my spleen, your spleen sits up in your your left rib cage. My spleen came out, went down to my hip bone and over to my belly button. It's oh one of the gosh. large, oh yeah, it was crazy. And what was hilarious is when I was in the hospital, there were like attendings, residents, fellows lined up and they would come in and they'd be like, can we fill your spleen? We're told we will probably never fill a spleen this big ever, ever again. I'm like, sure come on in this six-year-old little Whitney not surrounded by doctors except for a pediatrician and then all of a sudden boom like all these doctors you're going from one specialty to the next because they're like does she have lupus does she have MS does she have leukemia and everything came back fine which was good news but it was also hard because you want answers yeah with the plan and say okay this is what it is now we know how to move forward but I did not have that. And so I was diagnosed very broadly with autoimmune hemolytic anemia coupled with combined immune deficiencies, which basically meant, we don't know. We don't know what's wrong with you. And yeah, it was insane. So I went from Cincinnati to Duke University and then landed at Nationwide Children's And I started with my hematologist, who's been amazing. And he's been my hematologist for 23 years. And what I loved about him is he understood, because not my doctors understood this at Cincinnati, he understood that it takes a team to doctor someone as complex and complicated as I am. And so when he could, he got me in with rheumatology at Nationwide at that time, and I'm sure you can elaborate this, on this more, but at that time, there weren't a lot of clinical immunologists. They were more lab. Oh, yeah. 
And so I needed one, but I couldn't find a clinical one. And so it took about three or four years at Nationwide without one. And then finally, Dr. Olszewski, and he doesn't care I say his name. He's in, he's in some of my books, so he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> he's the he's a great do, teacher yes, too. Yes, the ones yeah. that do care, I will not say their name. But <laughs> Dr. Olszewski doesn't care. So anyway, I and then Dr. Ardwin doesn't care. Either. Oh my gosh, another person I am so honored to call as one of my teachers too. Yes, I love yeah. her, love her. But he told me, like, we're finally getting an immunologist in a few months. And I want him to be on this team. And I already had my rheumatologist. Did you ever meet Dr. Higgins? Yeah, Gloria Higgins. Yes, yeah. first rheumatologist. Mm-hmm. When she retired, that's when I went to Dr. Ardwin. Sure. So amazing too. And so was with them and I met my immunologist a few months later, which he does care. You know him. He does care. Yeah. He does name, but he was your teacher too. Yeah. And he was, he was amazing. The three of them just, they knew everything's connected it, when it seems like it's not, it is. And so we all have to work together. So they did, and they were working blindly. They had no clue what was going on with me, but they did everything exactly right. I was on IVIG, then I went on Rituxan and all these things were exactly what my body needed. And I could finally go off prednisone because mm. it's like a double-edged sword. Yeah. That's why I had to get a knee replacement at 19. It ate away all my cartilage and caused a vascular necrosis in my right knee. Wow. But so that was amazing. And yeah, over the years, they just worked together well. They knew what my body needed and they just, their guts and their instincts were spot on and it was trial and error, but they kept trying. And I was with doctors before they would just get frustrated and we don't know. So we're just going to stop. And obviously you can't do that. One of my doctors left me unmonitored on steroids for nine months without checking in or anything. So it's, I know I am very complicated and confusing, but you got to keep checking it. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was rough. But once I got my right team, it was amazing. They took great care of me. They wanted to make sure that despite my disease, I had a quality of life and I could live mm-hmm. when I wasn't having a flare. And that was the goal. But I think I was maybe around 20, 21, 22. And I went to my appointment with, we'll call him Dr. M. went with my appointment to him and get ready to close out the appointment. And he says, hey, I just want you to know that I sent your case to the National Institutes of Health. There's a disease that was just discovered and published and you have a lot of similarities to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went there finally after they called and they were like, you have to fit our protocol and you have to do all these, these research blood tests and do, you know, this and this. And it was a huge process before they even decided 
that I was going to be their patient. When the nurse called me and told me, Whitney, we probably will never figure out what's wrong with you. You'll just be valuable research to us. I understood why she said that because I'm sure a lot of patients that she's seen has gotten their hopes up. You hear the National Institutes of Health and you think, wow, I get to go there, that kind of thing. And I'm sure they've seen a lot of patients who got their hopes up and it's very hard to watch that. And so I understood why she said it, but I just had this feeling that I was about to embark on a really amazing journey. And I was, I was right. So did not have Doc 8, but they're like, you know what? You're fascinating. And for those who aren't as immersed in the medical system, sometimes the joke when you are in medical training or on the patient side of things is like, you don't know if you have, if you really want to be known as interesting. That's this double-edged sword, right? Like people stay curious about what's going on with you, but it also means that there's something that's like pretty wrong too. Yeah. I think I need to start carrying a jar and having my doctors put a quarter in it every time they say, you're not textbook, Whitney, pay up. (laughs) 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 I've heard that so many times. Like, I know, I know. Oh, and then when I know I'm segueing here, but it's Mm, when I'm in an appointment and I'm thinking, okay, this should be fast and I can leave. I'm two hours away. A fellow comes in and says, oh, Dr. Ardwin just said that I needed to see you and because I would learn so much and I'm like, okay. Like, I need my dues. I know, but I get it. <laughs> they need to learn. It's just comical sometimes. Mm. But anyway, they, the National Institutes of Health team, they said, so we're going to create a protocol for you and we're going to keep researching and trying to figure out what is causing your autoimmune and immune diseases. So about three years later, I go to the NIH for my follow-up appointment. And there is this guy and I didn't know who he was. He was talking to my doctor and I'm thinking, okay, is he like, is he here to shadow her or what's going on because he looked super young and he was in jeans flannel and like work boots and I was like who is this dude fixing the HVAC what's going on exactly exactly. it was I was I was confused is he a patient so many thoughts were coming to my mind and the, the thing that he actually was never came to my mind they bring him in and they say Whitney, we would like to introduce you to Ian Lamborn. I can say his name. He wrote the foreword for one of my books, so it's good. And he is a medical student getting his MD and PhD at the University of Pennsylvania. And he came here to work on his dissertation. We gave him your case, and he discovered that your disease is caused by a rare gene mutation. And like him, like he did that. <laughs> so yeah, it was really like this, the skateboarder did this. He looked like a skateboarder to me, but, but no, I love Ian. He's so well, sweet. You, I wonder if you two would have been about the same age then. No, he's much older. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> yes, I think he's knocking on 40. Listen. So he's about, yeah, he's closer to my age then. Yeah, I'm 34. 40 is a long way. Off. <laughs> 38. So I'm knocking on its door. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So he's super cool and so easy. And that, 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 that's the cool thing too about the NIH, especially through the pandemic, they've gotten a lot of flack and how the media perceives them is not really what I've experienced. And they're so warm and friendly and I've never met any doctor who is more, more interested and cares more about the science than they do the patient. <clears throat> and they tell me over and over you don't have to do this, but if you sign it and then you decide later on, oh no, I don't want yeah. to, we'll stop. You know, this you call the shots here. And I really appreciated that because I did not know how it was going to be going yeah. into that environment. And it's been an amazing experience. Got to put a plug in there for the. No, <laughs> and I think, I think that's really important to bring up because that hasn't always been the case. Yeah. In medical research, it's really only been in the last several decades that we yeah. have better protections yeah. to ensure that we uphold the your autonomy and mm-hmm. your respect you and yeah. your and make sure that you're not coerced and that you know yeah. that you are fully informed about what's going on yeah. with you and whatever specimen blood or biopsies or what happens to that because unfortunately that hasn't always been the case and you're so right because when I was younger I think that's why some doctors got away with what they did with my care because those things were in place and yeah I totally agree with you there 100 percent and I have seen it improved where it's more about the patient in the science it, there's a balance and it and that's good there always needs to be a balance and yeah so I've had an amazing experience and it was crazy because he told me your diseases are caused by a rare gene mutation you're the first person in the world to be discovered with this disease and your case is going to be the subject of my dissertation oh my gosh yeah, I was, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. Yes, it was like crazy to be the first person in the world to be discovered with a gene mutation. Because they're like, what does that mean? They don't know a lot about this. Obviously, yeah. I'm the first person, but, you know, to get an answer, not everyone gets an answer. And that was such a blessing. And I really appreciated it. And because they were so friendly and so warm and this is your decision, you're guiding this, it made me more willing to work with them. And if it was the other way around, I probably would have ran the other way, but they've been amazing. And for the longest time, I was their only patient. So I developed a really special bond with them and I kept searching. They went to medical conferences and seminars, funny story. Ian was presenting my case at a medical, you might even know this story, a medical conference. And Dr. M was in the audience and he was presenting it. And afterwards, and they hadn't, they hadn't met. They just have emailed it. That's all they knew of him. Yeah. And so after he is done, 
presenting and the conference is over, Dr. M goes to Ian and he says, he didn't happen to be talking about Whitney Ward, would you? And he, Ian's like, what? Yeah. Who are you? And yeah. he was like, I'm doctor. And they're Don't like, tell. yeah. Oh my goodness. They finally could put faces to these emails. And anyway, it's funny. But when you have a doctor that knows you so well that they can tell they're talking about my patient. That's mm-hmm. that's amazing. That makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're taken care of. But yes. They, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And they did. They searched for a year and a half and they came back and they told me usually when we find the first patient other patients just come out of the woodwork because presenting to seminars conferences and consulting doctors and that's just usually how it works but we haven't been able to find anyone with your gene mutation so what we're surmising is that most babies are either stillborn mm-hmm. or miscarried we know now that your gene mutation was uh mutated in your mother's womb Mm. at some point so that's why they couldn't find anyone and oh my goodness sitting there and listening to that was hard to hear and my mom my mom and dad were in the meeting with me and my mom looks at my main doctor and says so all babies are a miracle but you're telling me my baby's even more of a miracle And she goes, yes, it's a miracle she survived her pregnancy. It's a miracle that she is still alive. And it's a miracle she's doing as well as she's doing because this gene mutation is horrific. I just sat there in awe that I was still alive and that I must be here for a reason. God put me on this earth for a purpose. And I truly believed it was to tell others that they could scale the mountains that they face and they could climb and keep climbing until they get to the top. But that was even more confirmed a year later. And since I developed such a great relationship with my team, I was given two once in a lifetime opportunities. First of all, they asked me and my family to attend Ian's dissertation at the University of Pennsylvania. And then they invited me to help them come up with a name. And they knew I was a creative writer and could think out outside the box. And so they taught me the naming process in the medical world, how it's an acronym. It's a real name or a real word, but it's an acronym. And each letter symbolizes a symptom of the disease. And so Ian is the one who taught me this and he's, listen, they probably won't choose your name. I just want to prepare you. We want your input. And guess what? They probably won't even choose my name. (laughs) Just wanted to put that out there. Don't get your hopes up. So I actually kept it. It looks like I felt like I was playing Scrabble because I was checking the internet. I'm like, okay, what's inspirational words? Because I didn't want it just to be scientific. I wanted hope to be attached to the name Mm -hmm. and so I was looking and finally I found something I'm like oh my goodness this is it this is what it needs to be called and that was magis magis means more in latin and it also references a phrase to the greater glory of god I thought it was perfect because 
everyone who survives matches is a miracle and there are more and they need to be reminded of that because we do have bad days but if they can just be reminded that there is hope bad days won't last forever just keep climbing take care of your body don't feel like you're a failure if you have to take a week off to rest but remember just keep going when you can and I submitted that and it's like okay this is what I want but I don't know if they will do it so I went to Ian's dissertation and my parents my sister were with me of course he talked in medical jargon so a lot of it went over my head but I'm still like that's me that's me I don't know what he's saying but it's he's talking about me and he gets to the end where he wants to thank everyone who got him to that day or that day he was speaking for his dissertation and he said I want to thank one person in particular and she's a big reason why I'm here today and if she didn't understand that it's not only going to help her but help other patients who will be diagnosed with this disease and all the stuff she put herself through for mm. this I wouldn't be here right now and then he, he bent down behind the podium and he proceeded to bring me a bouquet of flowers Aww. and hugged me. And it was such a special moment. Aww. And that would have been, that would have been perfect, but there was a cherry on top. And after he gave that to me, he said, and we've decided to name this new disease Magis Syndrome. Yes. Oh my goodness. It was so amazing. I was elbowing my mom and sister. I'm like, they chose my name. They chose me. And I, in that moment, I just got closure. I didn't know I needed it, but I did. I got closure. I knew what was causing everything, but I also knew in that moment, it confirmed that I am here to encourage people and remind them that they have a purpose and they just need to keep climbing and keep trucking along. And yeah, so that that is how I got here. It's a long roller coaster of a journey. But but yeah, it, it was definitely a special journey. And something I've been trying to do over the last several in this grouping of episodes is focus on the interactions between patients and their healthcare teams. And, yeah. and you brought up so many elements that are what I talk about and use you as an awesome example in my TED talk, which you were so gracious enough to let me use your story. That was amazing. I but this idea that part of that communication between someone who is called to try to help people heal and the person who's suffering. So patient, physician, or however, you know, however that looks. Yeah. It's communication between two humans and it's that human connection that has its own therapeutic benefit too. But when we're able to come to that and you're able to come to that from a place of standing in your own power and empowerment, mm -hmm. that is so powerful. We mm -hmm. also need, and I talked about in my medical gaslighting episode that we need healers that mm -hmm. are coming to that space with curiosity and empathy and a listening ear and validation yeah. And it's when those two come together that, whoo. Yes. Yeah. It's powerful amazing. stuff. For sure. I, it's one instance that I think about when you're talking about that 
And this is for the the kids that might listen to this with their parents. You have a voice, you know your body, and you know when something's not right. And you might not be able to articulate it well, but when you get a doctor who listens and talks to you and gets what they, down to the nitty gritty of what you're trying to say, then that is an amazing doctor. I remember I'm very short as Dr. Wada. I'm four foot nine. And my mom's four foot eight. She was four foot 10, but she shrunk, of course, as you get older. <laughs> that happens as we get older. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> so anyway, she's four foot eight now. But I knew, okay, she got there naturally. I was a 10-year-old wearing six X's in little girls. Like something is not right. And all of my doctors that I talk to, eh, you're just short because of your mom. And it's, no, you're not listening to me. I know something isn't right in little girl fashion, how I said it. It was so frustrating. But then my medical team switched from Cincinnati to Nationwide, and I saw Dr. Olszewski. And I was able to tell him. And he said, I hear your concerns. It's not going to hurt for us to get you a consult with endocrinology just to make sure nothing was going on. So we did. And sure enough, I was low on growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Had to start growth hormone shots. If I did not start those shots, my projected hike would have been three foot seven. Mm. And so he listened to me, even though I was a kid, he didn't just chalk it up. Oh, it, your work for your mom, just get over your concern, that kind of thing. And, and it is, it feels like gaslighting when there's just, this is what it is. Uh-huh. End of it. End of discussion. And then, but you feel so good. I was right. I knew my body. I kept fighting for it and it turned out how it needed to turn out. And for that, because I not only needed it for growth, I needed it for my bones, my, my mental yeah. capacity. It, it helps with all of that. And I wasn't getting all of what growth hormone does. You need a little extra. Exactly. People don't think yeah. about the, they just think height. They don't think of the uh, other stuff that I was not getting. So when he listened to me, okay, this doctor is going to take care of me. He listened to me and he did what I asked him to. And yes, kids, if you're listening and you feel something is not right, even though you're a kid, your voice matters mm-hmm. and you know your body. So keep talking. If you, even if you don't feel like you're getting the point across. Yeah. That's, I think for so many of us, mm-hmm. our experiences along, along our lifespan through childhood and teens and everything, mm-hmm. we as a society are in so many ways that we, many of us were brought up and we learn to ignore what he's saying as we get older. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like at least personally, like I am just now starting to listen out better for those clues. Our body tells us of, Oh, I'm in like more of my fight or flight mode or, Oh, I am feeling more relaxed or, Oh, maybe I should listen to this or that or. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've also found that adults who don't start with their disease as a child and grow up with it, it's harder on them because they've lived this healthy life Mm -hmm. and then boom. And it's okay. Do I push 
or do I take a step back and say, okay, what can I and can't do? And I found that to be true. I had a mentor who she was completely healthy and then she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease Mm. and it just knocked her off her feet. And so she had to learn, how do I listen to my body? What do I need to give up? So I don't have a flare. So I don't keep my Crohn's going. And so, yeah, it's tough. Definitely in that aspect, which I know we all have different journeys though. Right. And different takes different amounts of time to come to those different realizations and it's all a journey. It is. And to the parents out there who have children with special needs and chronic illnesses, one thing I just want to tell you is it's no accident that you're their parents. God knew that you could handle it and you could give them the compassion and empathy that they needed. Even on the days that you feel like, okay, I'm failing this kid. You're not, you're not They're You're, they have the parents they exactly need, just like I had the parents I exactly needed. So don't be hard on yourself. Just remember you're human and you're doing a good job. Mm. That self-compassion piece is huge. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Yep. Especially in parenting. I know I had a few moments the last couple of weeks where maybe I wasn't feeling good or tired or stressed out or whatever, that you're not your best, your best parent and lose your cool with, I lost my cool with my oldest who she tends to challenge me a little bit more. She feels her emotions very deeply. Sometimes that is inconvenient, but you can, you know, always come back. We're human. And I just, I came back to her after we had cooled down and said, Hey, can we have a do over mommy? Sorry, I'm human. I lost my patience and, and that's totally okay. Yeah, it is. My parents came to me many times and apologize. I got that wrong. I'm sorry. I have to do better too. It's not just, you're not the only one that's learning here. We're learning too. And I handled that wrong. I'm sorry. And sometimes there's a mentality that parents shouldn't apologize. They might lose the thirty or figure or whatever, but I totally disagree with that. It helps the child move forward and not dwell on it. And it makes them realize, okay, I, it's okay if I make a mistake too, because if my parents who I look up to can make a mistake and then own up to it, then Mm. I can do that as well. So maybe we need to extend that also and give that permission to our healthcare professionals too. Oh yeah. I always to say like, I could have handled this better or yeah. 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 And I try to remember that they're human too. They're going to have bad days and you don't know what they're going through. You don't know their personal life. You don't know what happened behind the scenes. And sometimes it's hard when tragedy strikes or a stressful situation is happening and they have to see patients and they have to put a good face on. And sometimes that's hard and they might have a bad day. I try to remember that and especially (laughs) when I recommend doctors other people I'm like oh my goodness I hope they're not having a bad day on this day that I that that person goes to them because I'm like oh they're great they're so nice they're they'll listen to you and they come and like 
are you sure where I saw the same doctor you yeah. <laughs> recommended? I just recommended rheumatology at Nationwide Children's to someone. And it was like just building up their department. And they're so great. Like, I love them. My doctor is like the chief there and you'll love yeah. it. And then they went and I got to thinking, I was like, oh my goodness, what if they get a doctor? having a bad day or have a good bedside manner and I built this yeah but thankfully they they loved it they loved it they're like fantastic so yeah I think that's where some of the work I've been trying to do on the medical side is reaching my colleagues yeah and medical medical students residents fellows and using these new tools that you know of like from coaching and from self-compassion work and yeah Doing some more, I'm going to try to sign up to do some more training on just learning about the role of being not only trauma informed, but trauma responsive, how we can teach and bring all of that into our offices, hopefully more often. Yeah. And it's hard because as you and I very well know, the system is totally broken. We're all functioning within it. It's very siloed and yeah expensive and all the things, Yeah, but we can do the best we can do and work on moving those mountains, climbing those mountains. Exactly. It can be steep sometimes, but you got it. And you have taken your circumstances and really now share them and inspire others in several different ways. Can you Mm -hmm. share with folks how they can Yeah. Yeah. I am a public speaker and I've spoken at women's retreats, churches, youth groups. I spoke at chapel at my school. That was really cool to get to do that. And I even spoke at a rotary club, (laughs) which was like, I didn't know what it was. So I don't know if other people don't, but it's like where all the businesses in the area Mm -hmm. like come together and network And every once in a while, they have a special speaker. And so they had me come and speak. And that was so cool. That was a cool opportunity. But I've spoken at schools. And really, I love it because I take into consideration who my audience is. And I'm like, how can I adapt my story to help this audience? And it's just so cool how I've changed it for each venue and how I'm like, oh my goodness, I never thought of this angle or that kind of thing. And so, yes, I love to speak to people, to encourage them, tell them you got this, you can make it to the top of your mountain. And I've actually written a few books and which is so, so amazing because it's been a long journey. Uh, Some people think that it's a very easy journey to get a book published. It's not. No, no. Not at all. I joke with my NIH research team. Listen, my world of getting stuff published is like the scientific world of you guys trying to get your research published. It takes a long time, but it all worked out. Timing's everything. And last year I published my first children's picture book and it's for kids who have chronic illnesses, special needs. I just really saw that the book industry is really lacking in books for people with chronic illnesses, even though there's millions of people 
who have chronic illnesses. And I remember I was at a book or a writing conference and I was told well, there's not really a genre for people with chronic illnesses. And I'm like, I will create one. Listen, this is ridiculous. Yes, huh. people with cancer, autism, all that, they need the books that because that's what I was finding most of that. But but there was really no books talked about MRIs, CAT scans, needles, hair loss, kids saying mean things because you have deformities. And it's like there needs to be something out there where the kids can look at that and see themselves and believe, oh, that's cool. I see me in that book. So I can do what that person is doing. And so I wrote, it's called More Than Your Mountains. Mm -hmm. And it's a rhyming book. I love Dr. Seuss. So anyway, I love to rhyme. But it's a rhyming book. And actually, wait, this is a podcast. (laughs) We're going to put this up on YouTube too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I started. (laughs) We can see each other, but they can't see us when they listen to this. Anyway, I was going to show it, but... uh. Yeah, so it's a rhyming book for children. In the back, it has questions and it even has a like explaining what spoony means and explains what zebra because there's this really cool scene picture where the doctor it's animal like oriented, so it will appeal to kids even more. But there's a doctor who's like looking at a textbook and it says how to treat horses, and there's a zebra laying in the bed and yeah yeah so really cool and kids will pick up on that and there's even a bell scene where a goat's climbing up a mountain to ring the bell for like cancer patients that might read the book so yeah so there's that there's searching scripture there's uh like questions because I even wanted healthy kids to read it so they could gain empathy and understanding yeah. and just get educated on how to be kind to, to those people that are different than them. So I wrote that book and then I actually published my memoir and it's more than my mountain. So it's like the adult version of more than your mountains. Yeah. And that's the book that Ian actually wrote the foreword to. And so that was super cool. And it just, it tells my story and it also kind of sprinkles in mountain climbing applications and how we can apply that to life. Mm -hmm. And then I have a YouTube show called Mountain Climbers, where I have people who come on who have faced mountains in their life, but God gave them the scale, the strength Mm -hmm. to scale them. So I brought them on and I actually was, you know, asked their permission to use their stories because I realized not everyone's facing the mountain of sickness and I want anyone who can pick it up and read it and feel like it's for them too so I intertwined those stories and then I just published a Christmas novel and I'm very excited about that it's called and they came with haste and it's about a shepherd family in Bethlehem and a maimed lamb is born to them they keep it as a pet But uh, long story short, this is the shepherd family that the angels appear to. And they get to go see the nativity and see the scene of Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and all that. And it's a novel. So it was, I wrote it. The protagonist is, her name is Hadassah. 
And it's like a coming of age story where she struggles with wanting the same independence and freedom that she sees men have that time she had to marry for many reasons. And so it shows that struggle of her trying to accept what's expected of her. And so, yeah, that's, I, those are my books and I have a, another book that will come out for kids and it's called more than creation. And it just tells them that out of everything that God created, his favorite masterpiece is the kid who's reading that book. And it is the sequel to more than your mountains. And then, and they came with haste will be adapted into a children's picture book as well. So yeah, a lot of you really have a lot cool things. on the horizon next year. Yes. This is so exciting. Yes. Very exciting. Oh, we will make sure to link all your links in our show notes so that people yes. can pick up your book, head over to your YouTube. Yeah. Book you for their next meeting to speak all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, I can adapt it to any type of situation, you know, my story and, um, yeah, I was, I'd love to encourage anyone. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. For your time and your vulnerability and just your beautiful spirit. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I am so glad that Dr. Ardwin put you in my life. So thank you for your care and just the great compassion and, you know, everything you have for me. Mm-hmm. Sending virtual hugs. Yes. Same, same. Even yeah. though you can't see it, people. <laughs> we're, if we're they're hugging. watching on YouTube, you can yeah. see the sun totally in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you for having me. I had a blast talking to you. If you have found this information helpful and empowering, I would strongly encourage you to hop over to www.crunchyallergist.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we dive into all things allergy, autoimmunity, and anti-inflammatory living. Thanks so much for tuning in. I look forward to talking again next week.